Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. About a year ago, I uh, started asking some questions in the wake of the Edward Snowden revelations in the States that uh, Verizon had been spying on everybody and handing over the information to the NSA. I was writing for McLean's magazine at the time, and I decided to see if something similar was going on here in Canada. I went straight to the telcos. I asked uh, Rogers and Bell and Tellus, have you been providing police or other authorities with bulk data on your customers? Didn't hear back from Rogers, who uh, ironically owned McLean's. But I heard back from Bell and Tellus. They denied it. Here's what Bell said. Bell would only provide access to law enforcement agencies in response to a court-approved warrant regarding specific individuals and as part of an ongoing investigation. Okay? So no mass bulk surveillance. Specific individuals only. No voluntary disclosure only if there was a court-approved warrant. Similar denial from Tellus. Here's what they said. TELUS fully supports law enforcement's need to carry out lawful wiretap of communications with a warrant. We do not voluntarily release customer information. That's what they said last summer. Here's what we learned last week. In 2011 alone, Canadian telecom companies received and serviced almost 1.2 million requests for subscriber data from various government agencies. 
How was this revealed? Because the privacy commissioner forced them to reveal it, but they didn't give it up easily. The new privacy commissioner asked 12 telecom companies similar questions to what I asked. They all got together through their lobby group. They hired an outside consultant, and here's how they answered the question, which they had to answer in some way. Nine of the 12 companies provided information, and they anonymized the results. So we don't know which nine of the 12 companies, and we don't know which company received which requests. The anonymity is kind of funny, given that they're actually pointing fingers at us, but they won't let us know who they are. So I don't know for a fact if TELUS and Bell, who denied doing this, are among the nine out of those 12 companies that have been doing it. But maybe I'm digressing. The real point here is, now we know. Bulk state surveillance is occurring in Canada. I'll be joined in a moment by Chris Parsons, postdoctoral fellow at the Citizen Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. There are few people in the country who've been keeping a closer eye on this than Chris, who have been more involved with it than Chris. I cannot say enough good things about the Citizen Lab. They are doing the investigative work on surveillance in Canada that the media is not. He is aware of some things that are going on and other things that are likely going on that surprised and angered and terrified me. And you will hear our conversation in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. A message from my fellow freelancers, contractors, small business people. Stop making invoices in Microsoft Word. Microsoft Excel, there's a better way. FreshBooks.com is the sponsor of Canada Land. They provide cloud accounting, painless billing, the easiest way to bill your clients and track your expenses and do your taxes. Check it out. Go to FreshBooks.com. Tell them Canada Land sent you. Enjoy a 30-day free trial. FreshBooks.com. Okay, Chris, 
all of these years, all this concern, Google and Facebook and our privacy, Google actually volunteered data, transparency report. Okay, public, here are the total number of requests we've gotten in Canada from law enforcement for your information, 128. And we've only actually fulfilled like half of them. Mm -hmm. Now, the telecom industry is forced to disclose how many requests they got from law enforcement and from the government in one year, and it's 1.2 million. And those are those are requests they, they fulfilled, correct? I think that they were, yeah. I'd like to say just under 800,000 accounts. And so you might have multiple requests for the same person or something like that. That's okay. Calculated. Nine of the 12 companies asked by the Privacy Commission responded, and we don't know which of those companies. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think the commissioner knows either, at least not officially. They got together and they said, we're not telling you which of us are, are actually disclosing yeah. or how many of these requests were fulfilled by, by one company versus the other. But all of us together were anonymously letting you know that there were 1.2 million requests from the cops or from yeah. border service, and all of the various government agencies. Yeah. And, and we handed over this information. It's something that's really important to differentiate between what Google has announced um, and say what's going on in Canada. So in Google, um, my understanding is most of those requests uh, go through what's called the mutual legal assistance treaty process. So this isn't, you know, a cop shows up and says, my spidey sense says that Chris needs, I need Chris's phone number or something, or I have Chris's phone number and tell me who he is. But instead, the mutual legal assistance program is there's an actual case. And that has to go through layers of like crown attorneys, Department of Justice, gets kicked over to the United States. They parse the data to make sure that the request is appropriate. Then it goes to a local police department and then they file the request. So there's a lot of steps. As opposed to subscriber data where, you know, I'm on the CBSA website. I'm a researcher maybe because I am. And let's say I run a really strange request like uh, how much marijuana can I take across the Canadian border? Right. Which – the answer is none. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, maybe that tweaks someone's spidey sense. You've left a digital trail that you're asking about drugs yeah, my, on the Border Services website. My IP address is there. So maybe they want to follow that up and say, okay, well, who exactly is asking that? And is, and is that someone that we should be interested in? Yeah. And I've heard that, that, that even like Revenue Canada tracks yep. questions that you might ask on their website to see, you know, hey, am I, am I a tax cheat if I do this? And then they'll grab your IP address and try to trace it back sure. to your name. I mean, grabbing IP addresses is normal, right? Like every server you go to does this. But yeah. what's really important is you can ask those questions. You can ask any question you want of the government. And there's you haven't opened a case. You haven't proven you've done something illegal. Right. You might have twigged someone's suspicion. But that isn't necessarily enough to create a case and go to a judge and get information. This is a warrantless process. This is like no judge need apply. Yeah. And we're talking not about, I mean, like you say, every website collects IP addresses, but it, it's, it, that, that IP address is pretty useless to Revenue Canada or to border services. Unless they can track it back to you. Unless they know your name. Yeah. And it looks like they're, they're doing that. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, this is something that admittedly privacy scholars, privacy advocates, you know, the privacy quote unquote community, if you will, has been, you know, screaming about for a long time. This is a major revelation. This oh, yeah. is like what has long been suspected has been confirmed. I think that the Citizen Lab and others who've seen some reporters who've done some really great work on this, they've just been asking questions that I think have needed to be asked for a long time. And if you don't get a response, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. Being told we will not say anything and you can get that on the record in long form that anyone can read, mm -hmm. that's different from what everyone sort of in these circles has been told privately, yeah, we're not going to tell you this. Okay, well, fine. I want that on record. I yeah. want you to tell me why you won't tell me, and then I'm going to take the time, and I'm going to work through why what you said is, is accurate or not. And when I figure out it's inaccurate, come back to you and say, this seems to be not the case. I have a legal opinion showing it. Maybe you'd like to be a little bit more forthcoming. And so I think it's just 
you know, chipping away. Talking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, all this time when it's, uh, you know, I've complained many times, it's a hard thing to get people to care about because it's, it's complicated yep. and because there's so little information. So you just leave people kind of scratching their heads with like a vague sense of unease that there's mm-hmm. reasons to be suspicious, but it is worthwhile just to create, to get Bell and Tellus saying, no, we, we don't hand over data without a warrant to get Ro- that Rogers refused to even yeah. answer. Yeah. These are important steps. But here we are now, and I'm trying to get my head around what we now know, which is at least 1.2 million mm-hmm. requests in one year. And that's years ago. Right? In 2011. So, so you know, <laughs> what like, these are important years in terms of like we're creating so much more data. Yeah. But how does a telecom company process that many requests for data. So border services, Canadian Revenue Agency, maybe CSEC, uh, maybe local police are calling up and saying, we want to know what name is attached to this IP address. We want to know what name is attached to this phone number. We're talking about hundreds or thousands of requests a day. How do they handle that? Well, uh, we know from Charmaine Borg's uh, accounts. That and who is Charmaine Borg? Charmaine Borg is uh, a MP for the NDP, the federal NDP party. Yeah. Uh, and so she's their privacy critic and issued a series of uh, questions to government agencies. And government agencies were legally required to respond to her within 45 days. Yeah. And they did. And so what we found was that there's this Bell lawful enforcement database and Bell has come back and said, well, we don't know what that is. It doesn't exist. So someone is muddling terms or words somewhere. But one of the ways you would facilitate this, if you're one of the largest telecommunications companies, is you facilitate an automated system. And in the U.S., this is how it works. Yeah. There are automated systems because law enforcement and other federal and, and provincial and municipal agencies are voracious for this information. They desperately want it. They do everything they can. And it doesn't make sense to receive handwritten envelopes or have an army manning a phone bank. It makes a lot more sense. They have to a spend. call center. Uh, so instead you create a, like a, a user interface. Yeah, like, of course. Uh, I mean, I remember covering this where Sprint created an automated yeah. um, portal for cops. Just log in and ask away and, and, and uh, we'll give you the information. And the amount of requests once it was automated, once it was that easy for the cops and they didn't have to go through any formal, you know, like submission process – skyrocketed thousands of percentage. It yep. just went like right up. Of course. So when you create that very user-friendly database, that changes the game completely. And then, and then you can do things like bulk surveillance and you can apply big data to it. You can, you, you know, you can kind of indiscriminately request everybody at that point. Yeah, I mean, it still isn't... One thing that, that we have heard in various stages of my research over the past several years, and that I think is true, is that CSIS has some pretty sophisticated technical chops. Um, the RCMP's sort of electronic division, I mean, they're arguably underfunded. Perhaps we like that or not. <laughs> uh, but they're not well-resourced to, to do a lot of this. More worrying is probably, you know, when you get CSIS and when you get CSEC under what's called its mandate C or the, the, its assistance mandate to law enforcement, if they get access to this data and they're holding on to it and they're crunching the numbers. Because all of a sudden you're dealing with, not with folks who like, you know, they get a name and email address and they have like a, it's in a folder somewhere that they carry around with them, right? Then you're dealing with professionals who really get databases, really get database infrastructure, really get data mining. And we don't know who's getting this data. Yeah. Right? And we don't know under what terms. So even if the RCMP is requesting it, let's say it's for a major drug bust or quote unquote terror investigation or you know whatever they, they think they're investigating um, prior to a full investigation happening. Yeah. I mean, if they're holding on to that and if subsequent opening or making a request to CSIC, they can just make that available. I mean, that could be a, a fairly 
powerful agency, a national security agency, coming in and playing with uh, law enforcement data. Yeah, this and this is the application of, of big data analytics to surveillance. Yeah. We have a different relationship with private companies. Yep. Uh, we're their customers. Oh, yeah. When they give our information away and create wonderful little user interfaces, websites for authorities to access it, who pays for that? Two different parties do. So I've spoken with uh, some folks from the telecom side of the house who actually aren't terribly happy with the current regime, truth be told. Uh, but they're also sort of bound because when you're talking with a wireless company, as an example, you know, the Spectrum license, they get worried about what it would mean. The federal government is somewhat capricious at the moment with Spectrum policies. And so not playing ball with the government might lead to difficulties in acquiring Spectrum. But what they do, what I've heard in every person I've spoken to in the industry is, yes, we charge. So there's- They charge? Oh, yeah. It costs between $1 and $10 per subscriber record. They're identified as cost recovery, but it's actually, they don't make back the cost that it takes to go into it. Because, I mean, they're hiring full-time employees, right? So you're talking one to two people to manage these. So you're talking a hundred to $200,000 a year to man these systems. And yes, there's a lot of requests, but individual companies apparently are not receiving quite enough requests to pay the full salary of the folk that are managing these. So their, their complaint is that selling our data to the government it's not profitable yet. The government is expected to either pay for the equipment or fully compensate for the costs of, quote unquote, doing surveillance business. I mean, my head is just spinning with the fact that they're charging for it to begin with. I mean, whether or not they're able to make that profitable yep. is sort of their business. But like, I pay my telecom company for my wireless service, for my internet service. They collect my data. They sell that data to the government who is investigating me. Yep. I mean, there's nothing that the government is doing with my data that helps me. Not, not even necessarily yet investigating. They just, they think that you're someone to look at. Right. I mean, uh, and I just want to draw that, that distinction because investigation suggests that you might actually be at a point where you get a warrant or a production order. The, the courts might some at some point get involved. We're at like the spidey sense point where, yeah. you know, Jesse Brown is talking with Chris Parsons. Chris Parsons is maybe of interest. We should probably see what where Jesse lives. Or maybe not even that much specificity because when it's 1.2 million people in a country this size, it just might be men under 40 in Toronto. Yeah, well, and this is, again, dating back to the prior lawful access legislation. Um, but one of the concerns was these things called IMSI catchers or MC catchers. And basically what they let law enforcement do is, you know, you put them in a backpack, you walk down a, through a protest and it grabs these numbers out of the air. You could then bulk turn those over to a telecom company. And I mean, of course, if, if police start walking through a protest and say, papers, please, I mean, even in Canada, I think people are going to get a little bit upset. Yeah, we had a whole thing about that, the carding thing here in yeah. Toronto. But like with an MC catcher, you get these numbers, bulk, ship them off to the ISP. So whose phones do these belong to? I want the name of every person who was at this protest. Yeah. And then you can start to connect the dots from there because you yeah. could also get the IP address yeah. of everybody. And then you start to look at what they've been doing online. Yeah. So you can, you can gradually build a, a network. But I mean, we're seeing new surveillance technologies all through the U.S. Uh, and and with, with regards to IMSI catchers, MC catchers, Charmaine Borg asked about them. Neither CSIC, CSIS, or the RCMP would respond if they use them or not. Uh-huh. Essentially, they refuse to deny it. Yeah. So you can make of that what you will. You know, you bring up that these companies don't want to piss off the government because they're in a precarious position with their licenses and whatnot. It's worth mentioning, they don't have to do this. Oh, no. No, totally not. Unless there's a warrant, yeah. it's totally voluntary. What used to happen is, this is going back probably a decade or more, 
cops would show up and they say, hey, we have this phone number. Um, who's it belong to? And the companies would sort of have an ad hoc yes, no. So now there's an actual form that you have to fill out if you're a law enforcement officer, if you're going through the portal, presumably it's an automated form. And then that's provided and then your information is turned over. And you know, you'll, you'll hear, if you spend a lot of time watching or listening to this issue, uh, you will see that you know uh, Bell and others. You know, if you have an unlisted number, we don't disclose that. You need a warrant. If you have a diff- this kind of number, that kind of number, that's not because the privacy legislation in Canada says that that's how it has to happen. That's because the Telco Consortium has gotten together and said, okay, so what are our rules? And so they've set up this internal sort of legal regime. Yeah. And the reason why your subscriber data is turned over and not your other information is because the lawyers are pretty sure that they can get away with it. Um, and now, I don't mean this in, in sort of like a, a, a nefarious way. They're not like, you know, conspiring in a room like this is how we're going to turn over subscriber data necessarily. It's, you know, if we do this, we think that we're probably safe from the law. We don't think that our customers are going to be able to sue us. So that's a way that we can please our masters in government who have a lot of power over our licensing regime. And, and avoid customer lawsuits. And avoid customer lawsuits and, and avoid being like subject to a like lynch Class mob. <laughs> um, Michael Geist did some access to information requests where he actually got some of the documents about yeah. the internal discussions about when the privacy commissioner was asking for all this information. Bell was saying like, well, we're really, we're really in a pickle here because we got we to gotta serve this request, but we're walking a tight line mm-hmm. with uh, pissing off law enforcement. I mean, they care very deeply about um, angering the authorities, but they don't have to volunteer our information. I mean, this is really the disgusting part from the consumer's point of view, from a customer's point. Like, yeah. I, I am their customer. But you're not the only customer, right? Another customer of Bell, of TELUS, of all the major telcos, and they're always competing for them with the government of Canada or the various provinces, right. right? I mean, we pay high individual costs for all of our services, right, which you've talked about and all sorts of other people have talked about. But I mean, same time, you look at, you know, million, 10 million, hundred dollar million in your contract from one of the major governments of Canada. Do you really want to get on their bad side when it comes to tendering bits? Right. So instead of saying to the government, like, hell no, we are not handing over data on our own customers when we don't have to go get a warrant. <laughs> instead, they actually build like a handy user-friendly web portal for spying on us and they charge uh, government one to $10 a hit. And that just accelerates everything. I mean, it's so funny how, how UX is everything. User experience, frictionless, turnkey, intuitive design. Like, ask me to fill out a form, and I won't bother unless I really need to. But, but turn it into a one-click app, and I will mash on that button a thousand times. And then it's like, sure, why not just spy on everybody? Oh, yeah. It, well, and I mean, you know, if, if you want an example of one of the great historical frictions of, on surveillance – um, so in Canada, we are, of course, a bilingual nation, even if a large part of the population doesn't speak both languages. Uh, but as a result, if you're going to a federal court, any wiretap has to be translated into French and English. And, uh-huh. and so you want to talk about just a nightmare of cost. I mean, you're talking tens or hundreds of thousands in translation costs because it has to be a licensed translator <laughs> and all the rest. Whereas now, you don't need to do that when you just... Get someone's email. Right. Forget, all- forget civil liberties legislation. Bilingualism was a protection for yeah. people's privacy <laughs> in Canada. Okay. You talk about how the telcos are concerned about giving away too much information voluntarily so that they could be sued yeah. in class action lawsuits. There are two pieces of legislation that could give them 
total immunity, right? Yeah. Important uh, with the, the lawful access bill. It's not just civil immunity. It's also criminal. <laughs> so it, 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 I mean, uh, a colleague, uh, you've had him on the show, uh, Colin Freeze, has sort of been like picking away at. So why exactly does the government need to provide criminal immunity? <laughs> what that immunity equals is a blank check to share everything, yeah. which we know that they will. Well, it, it'll. I think there are some... As I said, there are a couple ISPs that are uncomfortable with the current environment. I think there's a combination of it might bite them in the ass. There's also uh, a few cases I spoke with one, spoken with one lawyer, and he said, "Well, even if these even if these pieces of legislation pass, what is legal is not necessarily constitutional." <laughs> and so there's also the mindfulness that you know this this court has been fairly aggressive over time and looking at bad law and throwing it out. And so if they throw out bad law then you've got telecommunications companies that might be on the hook for, yeah, we comply with the law, but we broke the Constitution. We broke the Constitution. But please sign up for our services because we offer fast internet. Well, that's good to know that there still will be some confusion, even if uh, these these two bills make it through. And importantly, just before we get to the legislation, I would point out, we're talking about the subscriber data regime. There's currently a case before the Supreme Court, and it is exactly on this. It is whether or not it is permissible for law enforcement to make requests for this kind of data without any sort of warrant or oversight. So those uh, oral arguments were heard December, November last year. And hopefully, you know, the next 12 months or so, uh, we might hear something from the courts. So it might turn out that a lot of the subscriber sharing um, has been inappropriate for a very long time. Uh Um, And And then they're on the hook. Well, then we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the caveat I always offer is I'm not a lawyer. And yeah. so the full dimensions of whether that will mean people can come back or not um, isn't totally clear. Whatever the uh, recourse might be, one imagines that at least then they would stop. You would hope so. I mean, I've I spoken with colleagues who are lawyers and asked them, so what happens if this other legislation passes, the, the updated cyber bullying? Yeah, so lawful access is back as the yeah. as the anti-cyber bullying yeah, yeah. bill. <laughs> uh, so what happens if that passes? Well, then it gets confused again because uh-huh. the Supreme Court will, will argue that one kind of sharing that happens under our privacy legislation can't happen anymore, but you'll have a new piece of law. And so I suspect you'll get the the police saying and Crown attorneys saying, well, look, we're not trying to send you a pivotal letter, letter anymore. We're saying under the, the cyberbullying legislation, turn this stuff over. Yeah. We just have this act. The Supreme Court hasn't ruled on the inappropriateness or appropriateness, so let's keep the game going. Whatever gray zone this stuff is in, it's not like it's tying up the ability for our telcos to share this information. They're doing it. Mm-hmm. They, you know, And if they did it 1.2 million times in 2011, they probably did it a couple million times in 2012 and maybe yep. 4 million times. Tw- you know, We don't know. These legislations certainly will not help no. the case of, uh, of, of privacy of, of, the, of the citizens. And in addition to the new version of lawful access, we have the Digital Privacy Act. Wow. It's called the Digital Privacy Act, um, which my understanding of it is it also allows them to disclose subscriber information without a warrant to private sector organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's important to make sure the copyright uh, industry can know who's downloading, I suppose. And it wouldn't necessarily even be limited to that. No, no, it absolutely wouldn't. I mean, they're the most, you know, we just had the the Voltage decision that came out. Uh, This was the the case where tech savvy was approached to disclose a whole pile of information. And so we have a ruling there that would seem to place a limit on copyright trolls from sort of like bulk asking for information. Yeah. This is private companies. This is Hollywood going to ISPs and saying, 
Who's been sharing Game yeah. of Thrones? I, IP address, you know, 192455, you know, whatever, um, was logged at this time. We uh, go to Bell Canada. Who was it? Because we, we want to go after them. I mean, the, the one thing that might limit the sharing there is the nice thing with subs- the subscriber data regime is very few Canadians ever know it's been shared, right? Only if it comes up in a court of law or if you file a, a request to the companies that they're legally required to respond to you. Yeah, we don't know when they've been snitching on us. So this is sort of like, you know, the the, the if, if you consider surveillance as an iceberg, this is deep, deep underwater. But as soon as you let copyright trolls do the same thing, I mean, copyright trolls aren't going to like grab all this stuff and then not do anything. They're going to look to make money off of it. Yeah, no, and, this is for this is for saying, you know, and I think that, that they've moved beyond the kind of like trying to, you know, uh, sue single mothers for... Yeah. A million dollars. Instead, they say, you downloaded Game of Thrones. We want 500 bucks. We'll sue you if you don't send it to us. Yeah. And so once Canadians start getting hit with those, it yeah. becomes apparent what the telcos are or are not doing. And so that might be a disincentive to sharing some of the information uh-huh. because it does have an impact on their subscribers. Whereas handing it over to the RCMP, the CBSA, your municipal police, whoever... Most of the time, no action's done with that. You just go into a database somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and this is the whole, hey, I haven't done anything wrong, and you know, how is this affecting me? Yeah, because you have no idea, right? You have no idea that when the police officer right. knocks on your door to see if you're home, it isn't because you know you're, they found your ball in the, the yard or whatever reason they provide. It's because we want to make sure that you live there. It is starting to affect people, right? Like it is starting to, you know, you might get a bill for what your kid has downloaded. You mm-hmm. might get uh, turned away at the border for having seen a psychiatrist and they yeah. don't want you in the States and that, that information was shared. There's just nothing in it mm-hmm. for us yeah. in having this stuff shared around. You know, to, to, that, to that question of like, what do I care? Like you just have nothing to gain. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that it's important to, to recognize that there are some instances that we can imagine where – you know, gaining access to this this data without warrant is is needed, right? And we have yeah. we have in the legal code we have a provision for it. It's called exigent circumstances, emergency. Yeah, this is like you know we think that someone's going to blow something up or you know some serious crime. Is a about child has been abducted. We yeah, need like, to know the, the the we have the phone number. This is the yeah, the, like, the cop show circumstance. Like, like, yeah, like all the stuff that that you know the the government of the day <laughs> trots out whenever they justify this. They trot they, they trot out like one or two cases and uh, to justify one point two million requests. Yeah, and, and you know for those emergency cases, you know I think most Canadians would say, okay, well, do we have legal mechanisms to respond to that? Oh, hey. We do. We have telewarrants. Our legal system has all the mechanisms to deal with those emergency circumstances. So we're not talking about those. So you see people say... But it's asinine. I mean, yeah. you, you can tell those circumstances, which are rare, from mm-hmm. this other thing they're doing is... It's something new. Yeah. It's I, something else entirely. I, I just think it's important for, for Canadians and your listeners to recognize that we have laws. I mean... It can feel like, you know, banging your head against the wall, trying to get answers from government, from spies, from cops, from Revenue Canada, from border agencies. They don't care. They don't feel like they need to give uh, answers. In some cases, it's their job not to give information. And it's even more frustrating trying to get them to stop, to change these policies. But now we're not just talking about government. Now we're talking about companies who do care what the public thinks about them, who, who need the public's trust. And if we all said holy shit, I am your customer and you have been snitching me out voluntarily and charging a fee, I'm gone. They would listen to that. I mean, they're listening in the US where all of the big telcos and the internet companies have gotten together and closed ranks and they got the message and they are pushing back against the state. Well, well, and we actually have a tool in Canada that isn't as available in the US. Um, And I don't think enough Canadians understand it and 
because of that, the Citizen Lab yesterday put up a piece to help Canadians. So yeah. you are legally permitted as a Canadian resident to file a request to a telecom company or any other company in Canada for that matter and say, okay, what data do you have about me? How long have you retained it? Who have you disclosed it to? How do you manage my personal information? Yes. And so if you go to the Citizen Lab website, citizenlab.org, um, it's, I think the title of the post is Responding to the Crisis in Canadian Telecommunications. We actually have a template letter. You just fill in, you know, your name, account number, stuff like that. We have the contact information for all the major privacy officers of all the large ISPs in Canada that we've previously sent letters to. Drop it in the mail or send it by email and fire it along. And I, I received word from people who have already used it. And there are a few ISPs that are already responding. Okay. Um, we found that one person learned that their subscriber information had been disclosed. They learned the date, the time, and the information based on a privacy complaint. And so filing these letters is the, is the first good step to try and figure out what that means. Okay. So they have to, by law, tell you what they've been collecting on you, and they have to tell you who they've been sharing it with. Yeah. And you have created a form letter that anybody yeah. can use. Yeah. And if they go to the Citizen Lab's website, they can use it. Yeah. Chris, we need an app. Well, actually, I recognize that. So I saw the letter. It makes it easier. So, But it's still, you know, we talk, you know, about, we talk about the, the hoops you got to go through. 100% right. Um, so this is, uh, this is actually a project that I've been working on with developers at the lab to do exactly that. Awesome. So we're talking about something where like I would, it would say, okay, I want my information. You, you go to a website. Who do I use? I use Mobilicity. Yeah. Our aim is to develop a system whereby you'd say, you know, send, I want to send a letter to say Bell. I get wireless service from them and a home phone maybe. Yeah. I don't get internet. And you click that and then it would print out sort of the, the form information. You type in your account number, you know, your personal information, hit print. You get a letter, and then you could mail it off to them, or in some cases, send it by email if you chose. You could send the email from the app. Some of the companies, while they do have email addresses for the privacy officers, for complaints like this, it has to go by fax or by mail. And so you get into... Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. And so... Like, that's I, one of those bottlenecks that, like, I, I, I know that if, if I can press a button and send something, yeah, or if yeah. I have to put it in an envelope and get a stamp, I, I, there's like I know. a 90% chance that ain't happening. I know. But I, I, I can, in some cases, I can only do what I can. Uh, and so we were reacting as quick as we could when these numbers came out to, to try and do what we could right now to empower Canadians. Yeah. And then in the next month or two, um, we should have the app, or not the, not the app, the website developed that you'll be able to go to, punch in your information, and then uh, yeah. get it. Get it's it a lot better than what we had before you did this. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I'm a researcher. I, I'm not personally a, a developer. And so, I mean, if someone wants to take what we've done and, and you know, run ahead of us, uh, you know what? Do it. Yeah. Take our letter and do better work than us. We, we, we're researchers. We're presenting stuff as best we can. We will be following up. But if you want to, like, pound something out quick and dirty and make it available, you know, tomorrow or next week or something like that, great. Do Somebody it. could do that. Somebody could set up, uh, you know, like a printing and sending operation, yeah. you know. Like so we actually looked into the uh, Canada Post API because we were hopeful that we would f have a way that we could like set up an automated mail system. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't see that, but I mean, it's it's myself and, and one other developer who's looked at it. So if there are other people looking at it, then as I said, run with it. Take Take our work, make it better. We're all for it. That's what the lab's all about. It's the only way it's going to change. Yeah. 
I think it's the only way it's going to change. I think you know it's 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 wonderful if people you know maybe we're going to see resistance to these two pieces of legislation. Maybe you know it, it was wonderful to see lawful access get struck down because people were just disgusted by yep. it, and that people had that kind of power in in our democracy that we could change, we could stop a piece of shitty legislation like that. Mm-hmm. But the practice that is happening, and this is the irony of this all, like we don't want lawful access because we don't want them sharing our information without a warrant. But they were doing that anyhow. And now we know that they were doing that over a million times a year. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? That's your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website is at canadalandshow.com. Come check it out. I will have a new podcast for you on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.